Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. Let us pray. Out of your word and into our hearts, may your truth take root and grow until we're overwhelmed by your love and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hillel the Elder was a Jewish rabbi who lived in the late first century BCE. And a student asked him to incite the entirety of the Jewish law while standing on one foot. Now, because my microphone malfunctioned, I was actually going to start out down there and demonstrate to you standing on one foot reciting the entire law. But thank God for the microphone failure. (laughs) So Hillel took up the challenge and he said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary. Well, a lawyer approached Jesus with a similar request in today's gospel. He was an expert on God's law. He knew all the Ten Commandments, had studied them backwards and forwards. He knew all the 613 commandments that had spun off of the original ten. It was as if, though, standing before Jesus, he wanted to know which was God's most important commandment. In other words, it was like saying, stand on one foot, and tell me the law. Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Jesus would have recited these words in a prayer twice a day. It's known as the Shema because of its opening line, hear, O Israel, and Shema means hear or listen in Hebrew. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said that there was a second commandment that was equal to it. He continued, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he not only summarized the law, but he summarized the teaching of the prophets in these two commandments. Jesus, with this second one, was referring to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which the lawyer, an expert on God's law, would have been quite familiar with as well. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, Leviticus says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then God puts his signature on it. He says, I am the Lord, meaning this is important. In the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke's gospel, another lawyer quoted this same answer that Jesus gave When he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And essentially he said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then we read in the scripture, Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus then begins to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer wanted Jesus to acknowledge that this second commandment was a requirement only in dealing with his fellow religious leaders. Not just anybody, but just people like him. But instead, Jesus included a person in his story of the Good Samaritan that he knew this lawyer didn't want to love. Ouch. That guy's his neighbor too? Hmm. The lawyer wanted Jesus to bend the law where he didn't feel the weight of it. So metaphorically, standing on one foot, Jesus says the greatest commandment is really two combined, loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Keeping only one doesn't fulfill the law. You have to keep both if you want to be counted among the faithful. So why does loving our neighbor matter, especially here in the 21st century? In 2020, a survey found that Americans' happiness and sense of well-being was at a 50-year low. Never before have we registered on our level of happiness or well-being before in the last 50 years. Commenting on this trend, Tish Harrison Warren wrote in the New York Times last Sunday these words, If you spend enough time examining our social media discourse, each cruel remark, each pile-on post, each algorithm-rewarded bout of rage, it reveals we are angry, sneering, bitter, and defensive. We rejoice in the tears of our enemies, she said. And then she continued, antisocial behavior also appears to be rising, including spikes in murder, aggressive driving, drug use, and random acts of violence. Rates of depression have also soared, particularly among young people. This increase can be attributed to a uniquely difficult few years of isolation and grief due to COVID, but many of these troubling trends began before the pandemic. We as a society are not well, she said. And I think she's right. Our society is broken, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we're repairers of the breach. We're called to bring people together, not to separate. Jesus calls us to extend love to our neighbors in hopes of healing the brokenness of this world. Now, I know it's simplistic and trite, but I grew up listening to Jackie DeShannon's song that Dionne Warwick picked up a little bit later, what the world needs now is love. And I think its message is more necessary now than it was when it first came out in the 60s. I'm not just talking here about kindness or politeness with one another. I'm talking about love, real love. The Apostle Paul described real love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable 
or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. We can't stop loving at any given moment. We have to keep loving. Looking at those verses, we can probably think of only a limited number of people we're willing to love that way. Because to do it in every relationship seems like it would be exhausting. To love like this in all our relationships, though, is only possible if we love as Jesus loves. And Jesus loves with what the Greeks described as agape. His agape love demonstrates a higher awareness of others that is neither emotional nor intellectual. It's spiritual, a spiritual awareness of each other. It's about seeing others accurately and then reimagining their lives without any judgment on our part. Agape allows people to see themselves more clearly and helps them discover a new and better life. What we reflect toward people helps them see themselves more clearly. Agape sees others for who they are, people created in the image of God, and accepts them as a soul progressing through a series of transformations and gives them room to grow. Seeing people as Jesus sees them allows us to see them as someone not unlike ourselves. If we're willing to plead for grace on our own behalf, then we need to be willing to extend grace to all others as well. Jesus emphasized the importance of loving one another when he said this, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That is, so we don't miss it, if you love one another. Our identity as Christians is intrinsically tied to the quality of our love for each other. Now, I know that loving others will always be a challenge, especially trying to love people who are not like us. Mark Laberton, the president of, of Fuller Theological Seminary, shared a story about one of his parishioners when he was in the local church in his book, The Dangerous Act of Loving Your Neighbor. Doris was the parishioner's name, and she called the church to explain why her muffins weren't at the church for the ladies' brunch as she had promised. She said she had a good excuse, she'd been kidnapped. The secretary immediately buzzed Mark, the pastor, to get him in on the conversation. Doris said she'd parked in her usual spot near the church that morning, but as she reached back inside to grab the basket of oatmeal muffins that she was bringing because everybody always loved her oatmeal muffins, that somebody grabbed her from behind and pushed her back into the car all the way over into the passenger seat. 
It was an anxious young man who then snatched the keys out of her hand, positioned himself in the driver's seat, started the car, and began to drive off with Doris in the passenger seat. She said it was quite upsetting. And so Mark said, well, this is probably a, a better face-to-face -face conversation, so I'm coming over to your house, and, and, and we'll see uh, how you're doing. So, took him a few minutes, he got there, shaken but steady. Doris greeted Mark at the door. They sat down, and Doris, continuing the story that she had started on the phone, said, after he took off with me in the car, of course, the first thing I did was ask him what his name was. Of course, Mark thought, if I'm ever kidnapped and, and mugged, then I need to remember to ask for my attacker's name. Doris continued. He said it was Jesse. So I said, Jesse, what are you doing? I'm taking you to an ATM to get money out of your account, he said. So I said, Jesse, why are you doing this? He said it was because he needed money for drugs. Then I said, Jesse, drugs aren't good for you. You're never going to be able to keep living life this way. Well, they arrived at the first ATM, and Jesse threatened her for her password, but Doris gave it to him, and he got out and withdrew some cash. As they sped away to another branch to get at another ATM, Doris told Jesse that his drug problem was bigger than he was, and he needed help from God to get over it. God loved him, she said, and understood his situation, and God would help. Well, then, after the next stop, Doris told Jesse that he needed to get into drug rehab. And he said, I've already done that, and it didn't work. And she said, well, you probably need to get into a better drug rehab program. Well, about that time, uh, Jesse hit the daily withdrawal limit for Doris's account, so he said he would leave and that she could take the car. But Doris wasn't finished yet. Jesse... I'm going to pray that you get caught because what you're doing is wrong. I'm also going to pray that I can testify against you when you get arrested because I'll also ask the judge to get you in a good drug rehab program. Well, she said, you need to stop hurting other people. You need help. Then Doris said Jesse was going to leave but she couldn't get out of the car because she was kind of bruised and stiff from when he pushed her in, and, and she told Jesse that. But she wasn't finished. She said, Jesse, God loves you. And Jesse helped her get out of the car, supported her all the way around the back of the car, opened the door for her to get in the driver's seat. And when he helped her in, then he reached across buckled her seatbelt, leaned in, gave her a kiss on the cheek, and said, take care of yourself. Doris told all this as if it was no big deal. Mark, the pastor, said, Doris, I'm so sorry this horrible thing happened to you. And she said, oh, it was horrible. She said, so I want you to pray that I can get over this, but I also want you to pray for Jesse that he can get over his drug problem. Now, it wouldn't surprise you that not long after Mark's visit with Doris, 
that Doris was called to the police station where she identified Jesse in a lineup, and soon after that, she testified at his trial. Her first words from the witness stand were, Hello, Jesse. It's Doris. Do you remember me? Remember, I prayed that this would happen, and I told you why it had to happen, and here we are. And then she turned to the judge, and she said, Jesse is the one who attacked me and took my money. And I know that he's going to have to do some time, but he needs help too. And so I hope that you'll help him, judge, get into a good rehab program. Doris was willing to testify out of love, with love in her heart, both for and against someone who hurt her because she was looking at Jesse through the eyes of Jesus. She wanted Jesse to account for what he had done. We all need to be responsible for our choices. But she also wanted something more for his life. She wanted to be a visible representation of God's love for Jesse. And you see, that's an important point because all the world knows about God's love is what they see in you and me. And if we're not loving, they have no idea that there's a loving God who can help them. Now, Doris's story isn't exactly the same as the parable of the Good Samaritan, but it offers the same answer to the question of who is my neighbor. People like Jesse are our neighbors. And other more pleasant people that we get to deal with are our neighbors too. And we're commanded to love each other in the same way that we love ourselves. The Bible teaches, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.